So typically during offering, you have some sort of music playing, and so we wanted to fill that spot with the soothing sounds of Hezekim. Why don't you take a listen? Then the Lord answered out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Who is this being that questions me? I am the Lord God who makes all things. I was there when the morning stars sang together. I spoke to nothing, and it all came together. I dwell in unapproachable light. My mercy and grace, the only hope for your life. Brace yourself. Everything you see, I created all that. And when I return again, I'm going to take it all back. Who questions my wisdom with ignorant speech? Brace yourself for listening as the infinite speaks. Before who do I stand corrected? Discredit my record. To the man who thinks that he can, this question's directed. Brace yourself. For an answer, I'll be waiting. Where were you with the extravaganza of creation? When I'm off the earth's integral measurements. And I fool with dirt, mineral sediments, chemical elements. Should I have started with the core that burns of the Tell me that the omniscient Lord might learn from the dust I cause fire to form Then I send rain to quench the flame Then I quiet the storm I'm the beginning and the end The all in all who wrote the code of cosmic law The very rules that govern your reality Time and space Earthly formalities that I can break I'm with Gideon as he fights the Midianites While at the same time I'm in this millennium right now Can you fit the cubs that crouch in the lion's den Or put a hook through the mouth of Leviathan The skin on his back I tightly sealed it with bare hands Trying to pry the shells that his hide is filled with Better yet try to muzzle his face If you survive you won't forget the struggle that takes place Can you bring for constellations in their seasons uh-huh. Can you make legions of angelic beings Construct them with brilliant means yeah. Deep in the sea that's creatures human eyes have never seen Past your galaxy, there's things your puny mind can never dream Can you make waves behave and direct all of their motions? Who gates up in the ocean to keep the water from overflowing? Far beyond when past the Orion, I can make the morning come by simply speaking to the scorching sun Who keeps it from shifting distance, merely by a few inches? Uh-huh. Further from it, you freeze closer, you melt in an instant But where were you when I measured the galaxy's dimensions? Both planets into existence, position of suspension. Lightning won't flash unless it asks for my permission come on. Thunder won't crash unless it passes my inspection In a lifetime, you can't get out of your galaxy Section. Even if you travel, that's 22 million miles per second I rule the earth, can you school me on the universe? I knew you from birth, one day I'll lead you back into the dirt But way before you were born, I show love in the truest form Took upon myself the uniform of the human form <laughs> I am lofty and high with the all-seeing eye So don't be haughty with pride against God the divine king I bring low all the proud If you come to me humbly, I can call you my child Who is this being that questions me? I am the Lord God who makes all things I was there when the morning stars sang together I spoke to nothing and it all came together I dwell in unapproachable light My mercy and grace, the only hope for your life Brace yourself Everything you see, I created all that And when I return again, I'm gonna take it all back Hi Alright, if you ever wonder what it sounds like in the Kegel's vehicle When my 11-year-old son is in charge of the music There you go but seriously, weren't those awesome lyrics, if you could actually understand them, if you, if you actually process through that, some pretty powerful things, and that was literally almost verbatim taken from our text this morning. I'm excited to dive into that, because if you think that was shocking, imagine if God literally showed up and spoke to us here this morning. I'd suggest maybe he does through his word. Let me pray towards that. Jesus Christ, thank you so much for this picture. 
that we see of the magnitude, the majesty of you as the creator God. We celebrate you this morning. We praise you on high. We ask that you teach us from this text in this extremely unique section of scripture that you'd reveal yourself to us, that we get a little clearer glimpse of you and your character. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So a little background before we dive into this section of scripture. We've been doing this series through the book of Job. If you're new here, it's a, a book in the Old Testament and really an account, just a fascinating account. And we're in a, our, I guess it's our fourth week now, one more to go next week. But this week we are about to see an encounter with Almighty God. But I wanted to give you a little background to our uh, section of scripture this morning. Hopefully some of you in your homework assignment actually uh, read those uh, four chapters. I actually had somebody that emailed me back. Anybody get our emails? Somebody emailed me back and said, you want us to read four chapters? I was like, yes, four chapters. You can do this. And so, uh, but before we look at that, we uh, basically have had quite a powerful story. First Job, if you remember, in our first part of it, you had Satan coming before God and getting permission to test Job to prove the validity of his faith. Pretty powerful uh, throne room scene there. That was followed with Satan taking advantage of the opportunity and just beating up Job. Literally just any facet of his life you can think of from his, from his health to his family to his possessions, all just wrecked in a matter of moments. We talked about that in one of our weeks. And then after that, we saw his, he and his friends and his wife trying to make sense out of the situation, trying to answer the question, why? Answering that tough question that a lot of us ask when we're in the middle of our trial. So we went through that and we saw them do a pretty poor job of making sense out of it. Last week then, we saw a bystander in this conversation, as they're trying to make sense out of things, enter in and give some actually pretty good advice. His name was Elihu, or Elihu, and he speaks into it and points to the majesty, that's where we ended last week, the majesty of Almighty God. But that brings us to this morning where God, who's been listening in, has been paying attention, decides to engage in the conversation. I would suggest that there's nowhere else in Scripture that you see anything like this dialogue that we're about to look at this morning. But I want to also, in the background of this story, remind us of some of the things that Job was asking for. If you remember, Job was pretty confident of his innocence, and so he kept on pleading to have his day in court with God. Do you remember this? Kept on pleading, if, if I had a chance, I would be proven to be innocent. Look at these couple of sections that we've already covered in Job 13, 18. Look at this dialogue. It says, Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? This is Job speaking. For then I would be silent and die. Only grant me two things, then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not dread of, your ter of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer, or let me speak, and you reply to me. Some boldness there in the next section in Job 31. He says this, Job again speaking, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my sh shoulder. 
I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. Ooh, some pretty bold words, pretty haughty attitude by Job. It kind of reminds me, have you ever talked to somebody that makes this statement? You know what, someday when I get a chance to talk to God, I've got some questions he's got to answer. Anybody ever have that conversation with somebody? You know, know, when I get my chance to stand before him, he's got some things he has to answer to. It's kind of comical if you think about it. Because it's a little bit of confusing how this whole thing works and who's the creator, who's, who's asking the questions. Well, this was actually the way, the same idea of Job. But then imagine this. Imagine in one of those foolish moments when you're claiming, you know what? I want to talk to God. I've got some things to ask. Imagine if he showed up and answered you in that moment. That's basically what happens in our Texas moment. In the middle of his stupidity and asking these tough questions before God, God literally chooses to verbally engage in the conversation. Glance down with me, if you don't mind, in chapter 38, verse 1, we see that God starts to engage in the conversation that right out of the gates, he clarifies some things. It doesn't exactly go like Job maybe pictured it as a prince approaching it's a little bit more of God redirecting as to who's the authority in this scenario and who's the one that's to ask the questions take a look in verse 31 or chapter 31 verse 1 so then then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge dress for action like a man I will question you and you make it known to me Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. It's just the start of the literally a verbal beatdown that continues for chapters and chapters. But I want to stop there just for a moment, just to point to a couple observations right out of the gates there. The first thing is that it says that he shows up in a whirlwind. We don't know if that was a picture of a big storm I had on the image here, just maybe a dust storm. We don't, we don't know exactly what that was, but it's pretty interesting how God chooses to allow nature to suit the occasion, basically wanting to show the expanse of his power before Job. Can you imagine Job just there already on the ground after all of the trials he's faced, seeing this whirlwind coming and it starts to speak to him. And what does, it, what does it actually ask him? It says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is it that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? In other words, Job is guilty of speaking a lot of things without any basis for what he's saying. You see this, even common day stuff that you go through. I was thinking about that, examples of my own life of people talking with no information. My, my sister Kathleen is notorious for knowing absolutely nothing about sports. Anybody else that person in the room here? She, she'll sit like next to us in a football game, uh, say the Super Bowl, and just start pretending like she knows what she's talking about. So, so she'll say, and, you, and maybe some of you that are here, you can try this today later on in the, in the game yourself. She'll, she'll be like, oh, looks, looks, like, uh, looks like he was off sides over there. Man, clearly the refs are missing everything in this game. 
That's a statement you could say for every single play of the football game. Clearly, they're offsides. I don't know. And, and she starts it, and, and I've found myself kind of sucked into it. And she'll be like, oh, the, that defender was clearly uh, was bumping the receiver on the way out. And she, I'm like, is this my sister? Does she know what she's talking about? And then she'll kind of break a smile and like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And really, I was thinking about that a little bit with Job, where it's a little bit more dangerous when you're thinking about spiritual things. But we have to be so cautious because why? It says it right here. Because we can darken counsel, or, or I'm sorry, darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Literally, if we don't think through our conclusions about spiritual things, man, you can darken other people's perception. He's saying don't mess up what everybody else around you thinks about Almighty God because of your false conclusions. Remember in the text, we had pointed out a few of the different false conclusions that Job had come to. Or if you remember some of those, he had come up with the idea that God was punishing and it was wrongful punishment. He'd come up with the idea that God wasn't responding or speaking in this situation. All these different things. That's why God says, listen, dress for action. Dress for action, or the better term might be gird up your loins. That's just fun to say. Say that to your neighbor right now. Gird up your loins. The, the, the picture of girding up your loins, this is the, the way that the, the idea of that is back then and still present day a lot in the, the Middle East is a lot of people, even the men, would wear long draping robes as their clothing, kind of dresses of sorts. And, and, and literally before going into battle, they would do things where they tuck them all up, tuck up all the loose edges so that they're more mobile and able to, move, to, to go into action. So that's what God's saying. He's basically saying, pull up your skirt, tuck it in, because we're about to throw down. We're about to throw down. Let's be clear here. If you're going to make these accusations about God's unfaithfulness, if you're going to make you about wrongful judgments about God, be ready to stand your ground is basically the big idea. But honestly, then he goes into brace yourself because he's about to lay down a ton of questions for Job. Kind of ironic because Job thought he was going to bring all these questions to God. He's like, no, I've got lots of questions. In fact, if you can, you can double check my count, but about 40 questions that he, that he puts before Job, all of them, None of them, in fact, wanting, wanting necessarily a response. Kind of rhetorical questions, because why? They're designed to expose his ignorance. Designed to expose that he doesn't know what he's talking. He wasn't literally saying, hey, Job, what can you tell me about this? He's literally saying, Job, you know nothing. You know nothing. He's not looking for a dialogue. I, I don't know if anybody gets these telemarketing calls like I do. Hey, do you have five minutes to spend where you can answer a few questions for us in the survey? And you're like, no, I don't have five minutes. That's not what God's doing here. He's saying, listen, I have some things to say to you, and you just sit there and be quiet about it. You see, that's the interaction, and he puts, puts this quiz out before him covering a wide array of topics from geophysics to astronomy to zoology to oceanography to meteorology, all these different things. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? He does that because creation has something to say about the majesty of God. 
Creation has something to say about the majesty of God. If you've spent any amount of time out in the, the wonder of God's creation, it screams of his character. It screams of his design. It screams of his care. And even just yesterday, we had some friends in town visiting us. We were down at El Matador State Beach. Anybody been to that just north of Zuma? Just beautiful. Like literally the, the sound of the waves, the birds, the, the, the sand, the, the, the beauty of the rocks going out into the, into the ocean just scream of the majesty of God. And so here he points to that and really he asks in this just unbelievable discourse three big questions. You can see them in your notes there. The first section of this, uh, this uh, explanation was, goes through the question, can you explain my creation? Then he goes through, can you oversee my creation? Then can you subdue my creation? We'll talk through those, each of those just briefly. The first one, can you explain my creation? In other words, can you make sense out of these different facets of all that I've made. And in this first chapter, he goes through talking about the earth. He talks about the sea. He talks about the way days work, the dimensions of the universe, the weather. He covers a wide range of topics, all pointing to the fact that what? He knows better than we do. He knows better than we do find myself in so many conversations with my, with my kids having to say, listen, guys, you, you don't understand. You've been here on this planet such a short amount of time. Your little brains haven't captured all this. They haven't solved all this. And so you're trying to, to fill that gap between knowledge. Now imagine Almighty God, the creator of the universe, trying to explain to his creation, oh, kids, you don't understand. Like, where were you when I was doing this? Where were you? Like, you, you don't get it. I have this under control. I clearly, just by looking around us, know what I'm doing. He points to creation because it screams of that. It screams of his involvement, not just involvement in creation to start it, but also sustaining it. Take a glance in verse 12 of that same chapter, 38 says, have you commanded the morning? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? In, in other words, he even not just created things, he literally decides to make the sunrise, the sunset. He's the one that's keeping this all going. And the scripture speaks of this all over the place. A couple passages I wanted to point out to even the New Testament scream of his ongoing involvement. It says, and he is before all things and in him, all things hold together, stay together because of him. Hebrews 1, he upholds the universe by the, by the word of his power, or Acts 17, 28. In him, we live and move and have our being. There's no part of this creation that doesn't take his ongoing sustenance. Think about even yourself, how you work. What causes your, your lungs to suck in oxygen every couple of seconds? What, what does that? Is, is that you remembering it? Is it what, what causes your heart to keep beating and sending blood throughout your body? What, what causes that? What causes your, your kidneys to work through toxins and clean out stuff? What, what causes all of these systems, even in your very frame, to work? I don't know if anybody's noticing as you get a little bit older, you're getting a little bit more forgetful. Anybody in that camp right now? My, my wife teases me because sometimes, oh, this is a little, little confession, sometimes I'll be driving on the 101 going somewhere 
and I'll just blaze right past the exit, completely forgetting where we're going to start with. Anybody else done that, or is it just me? Like, these senior moments are racing upon me. Everybody's like, no, it's just you, dummy. And, uh, but, but, but here, my point being is, can you imagine if you had to add to your checklist of things to do, don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to keep that heart pumping. Don't, don't forget to process the food in your system. Don't for, like, you, you see, we have this myth that we're, as humans, autonomous beings, and we decide whether or not we're going to engage with God. And you're like, no, sorry. You are engaging with God every single moment, whether you realize it or not. He points to that again a little bit later in the chapter where even our thoughts Chapter 38, verse 36, he says, Who puts wisdom in the inward parts or gives understanding to the mind? Even for you to have the ability to grasp what I'm saying right now, all of it is because of him. We're not autonomous, and he points to that. He says, Can you explain this to me? All pointing to his magnitude and majesty. See, when we confess dependence on him, we're really only acknowledging reality because we are dependent on him moves on in the next section to can you oversee my creation it's kind of a a fun if you're an animal lover this is a any animal lovers in the group this is a great section he goes through a lot of the animals that that they would have been very familiar with at that time actually 10 in fact he goes through some of the basic ones mountain goat lion donkey horse hawk eagle talking about each one of these pointing to his consistent care for each one of them. My, my personal favorite that he talks about in this section is the ostrich. Anybody else like ostriches? Like, like legit, like check out this picture. Like look at that thing. Like that's part of God's design. And, and what he describes in this section when he's talking about the ostrich, listen, listen to his words about it. He says, God has made her forget wisdom. In other words, She's dumb. Like those birds are really rock dumb. That's the point that God's making. In fact, it's backed by science. They literally have a brain the size of a walnut. Did you know that? Literally one of the only animals that their eyes are bigger than their brain. And so that, that's something maybe some of us could kind of uh, fall in that category too. But, but here's, here's the idea that he's saying. He describes this ostrich and he goes into all the things. that It forgets about its eggs. It leaves them out in the wide open. It then is hostile towards its babies. Like it's, it's a dumb bird is his point. But listen, but regardless of that, God still provides. He cares for it. And his point in all of this is, listen, if I'm caring for the dumb ostrich, and you play that out even across the scope of the landscape of God's creation, if he cares about all of these things that we don't even see with our human eyes, Anybody remember in lab or science cl- class when you'd look through the microscope and, and look at like a little drop of something? And what do you see when you look at that? You see all this life and things happening and moving and, and, and all of that. He's saying all of that I reign over. All of that God supports, cares for things. There's things happening. There's little bugs out in the grass that are, that are running around out there. He's keeping those alive, sustaining all of it. That's his point. He's like, I'm the provider. Do you want to wear that hat? Do you want to wear that hat? Do you, do you think you do a better job? The whole creation screams of a creator. He brings it full circle in chapter 40, verse 2. 
He says, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. In other words, contend, it's a word for a legal term of indictment or sue. Really, as the human creation, you're going to contend with me. And listen to to Job's response. Finally, he gets a chance in chapter 40, verse 3. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? Not exactly the prince that we heard a little bit ago. I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will not proceed no further. This picture, this idea is really the showing that he's recognizing some of his, his claims are pretty foolish. And this is a Middle Eastern claim, a, kind of a symbol that somebody would do, would put their hand over their mouth to show that they have spoken unwisely, to humbly say, I was wrong. I've spoken, but I'm not going to say anything further. That's his response when confronted by Almighty God. I will proceed no further. What I find fascinating in this is that you feel like that that should be like the the end of the story. Like, finally, you admit you were dumb. You shouldn't have talked. But instead, God's like, nope, I'm not not done with you yet. In fact, he goes round two of this verbal beatdown. Chapter 40, he goes verse 8. He describes, again, he goes back into the dress for action. Get ready, because I'm not done with you yet. He says, will you even put me in the wrong Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? This idea that, that really you're going to make this claim elevating yourself as innocent and me as guilty? Are you sure you want to make that claim? He points to one last illustration to bring home his point with Job and the bystanders, and his friends, everybody, whoever was listening. He points out this idea. If you're ready to accuse God of being unfair, be, be, be ready to recognize I'm reigning over every part of this creation. Be, be careful before you put on that hat of judge because I'm sustaining all of this. If you think about it, when we question God's goodness, his kindness, his faith, faithfulness, his wisdom, his fairness, all of that, aren't we in essence putting on the God hat? We're basically saying, I know better than you. I've got this figured out. Clearly, I determine what's fair and what's not. God's like, no, 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 that, that, that's not how it works. I'm the one that determines. I ask the questions, you answer. And he points, moving them to one last illustration, wondering if he's ready to play that role. He points to the two different large creatures. Have you guys, if you've read this, you, maybe it's the first time you've seen these, the behemoth and the leviathan. Those are just fun names to say. Now, there's some debate over what the behemoth and the Leviathan were or are. The first one, the behemoth, the idea is this. Some people conclude by the description that maybe it was a, uh, an elephant or a hippo. It's like, you know what? I don't really buy either of those. One, the description says that they ha- has a tail a stiff like cedar. You guys ever seen a hippo's tail or an elephant's tail? They, they don't really seem stiff like cedar. And also when it describes it as the first of the works of God, when you see a hippo, do you think of it as the first of the works of God? Like maybe the last of the works of God. But, but either way, 
obviously the, 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 the one that the explanation that m- makes the most sense in my mind that this is probably an animal that no longer lives, an extinct animal, one might even say dinosaurs. We have this idea we, uh, we tease my wife about because whenever you ask her, and you guys can have fun with this after the service, she'll love it. Uh, if you ask her if she thinks dinosaurs exist, she's pretty determined that dinosaurs didn't exist. And no matter how much logic you present to her, she's like, I buy in the behemoth and the, and the leviathan. But other than that, I'm like, honey, there's fossil record. What? And so the, I think it's just become a family joke. And, and uh, anyway, so you can tease her about that later. But here, my, my observation of this is that, they, that this is some kind of a massive creature in God, the scope of God's design, both of them, the Leviathan, the description of the, the Leviathan, we don't know if it's just poetic language, but it talks about it breathing fire, and it talks about, I mean, the, the mass of it, I mean, just huge animal. It's talked about other places in Scripture as being more of like a, a creature that lived in the sea. Pretty powerful stuff, and the whole reason... Why does he put, bring these up? He, we, don't know, we don't know exactly, but I would have some suggestions. One of the things, though, before we look at that, I wanted to point you to one verse that was kind of fun. Chapter 41, verse 5, is that we have a God with some humor. As he's talking about the Leviathan, he says, Will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will you put him on a leash for your girls? In, in other words, anybody have little kids that love pets? Are you going to get one of these leviathans and put it on a leash? He's, he's, he's basically pointing to his magnitude that he's reigning over all this. Basically pointing to the idea that man can't tame or even hunt them, yet God reigns over them. Look with me just briefly in chapter 41, verse 10. It says, no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up, referring to the Leviathan. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. This idea that he's saying, if you can't even stand up against my creation, what makes you think that you can stand before me as the creator? Points, points out just the, the, the gap between the two is kind of a reoccurring theme. And I think I would suggest that by the end of these couple chapters, he's made his point. You guys agree with that? Like by the end of this, you're like, we, we get it. We get it. He, he points out the other idea that he says, who's given to me that I should repay him? In other words, he, he doesn't owe us anything and that's so hard for us to absorb that idea that he doesn't owe us anything but he's in in this whole thing he's basically brought forth all of these different witnesses his creation to attest that he's the one reigning all over all of this and some people think that man why didn't and you might notice this in this section why didn't god ever answer job's question why uh, do you guys notice that too as you're reading this section? You're like, yeah, he, he talked, he, he engaged in the conversation, but he, he never got to the root of the question. He never answered the question, why did he allow all these trials in his life? I would suggest, and you guys can wrestle through this yourself, I would suggest that maybe Job didn't need the question answered. Maybe he just needed an encounter with God. Think about that for a second. 
So often we think, you know what, and we're digging our, in our heels about God and not quite ready to submit to Him and, and not willing to acknowledge His way is best. And we're like, oh man, I need this answer. I need this answer. And, and so seldom does that answer necessarily solve the situation in the same way that if God shows up and you have an encounter with God, where he reveals himself to you. So much of the world just wants those questions and wants it to be an intellectual kind of debate about God and about trials, about this and that. And God's like, no, just get to know me. Then all of a sudden, the stuff you're going through will start to make sense. Oh, we have a a loving God, not just a creator God, but a, a God that cared for us enough to to want to come down and be amongst us and literally allowed us to hang him on a cross and rose again to give us a freedom in him, victory in the, in the cross. Like, wait a second. When we start to be encountering him, all of a sudden, all the questions that we we're so quick to shake our fist and ask, I would suggest start to fall by the wayside. My best friend, uh, Joe, He's a pastor up in uh, Fresno, Clovis area, and he's uh, has a neat opportunity for the last three weeks. He's uh, uh, been a, being a host on a documentary on the History Channel that's going to be aired on Easter this year. And he's a, a host for this uh, documentary, and he's basically been three weeks traveling with him as being the host specialist about Jesus with another guy who has a doctorate from Cambridge being an atheist, a skeptic about, about Jesus. And they're going to all these different sites where supposed relics are found and all these things to dialogue about this. And so he, I, I've been interacting with him while he's on this trip and pretty, pretty stressful, as you can imagine. He says, man, I just feel like kind of the, the weight of Christendom on my back in these dialogues and interactions. And he says, man, he, says the, he said a couple, uh, a few days back, I guess this would have been last week, he said, I had this interaction all of these things have to be kind of they're on film and they have to be off the top of your head can you imagine that like and he's in 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 these different scenarios and he's like man scott he's like i just felt so crummy because i had this interaction i i feel like i i kind of lost the argument man he was he was presenting some stuff i didn't have the answer to and he's like then afterwards i thought of 10 things i should have said anybody have those situations Oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. I could have done this. I could have pointed to this. But in the moment, he's like, man, I I just kind of looked like I didn't have the answer. He said he was kind of talking to God, kind of debriefing at the end of the day, and God was just kind of reminding him, you don't have to have all the answers. You, you, don't, you don't have to. That, that's not necessarily what people need is more answers. They need an encounter with God. A couple days after that kind of, uh, mess up, he said in the in the dialogue. They were at one of the sites where they pointed to uh, the tomb and Christ's resurrection. And he's like, he said, out of the blue, when we're talking about, we're looking at this spot where the tomb was supposed to be is in Israel. And he's like, and the, the, this atheist just started breaking down in tears about the this discussion about the resurrection. It was kind of like all of this intellect, all of this, all of a sudden collapsed because somehow, and he, he later talked about it and he says, I have no idea what happened there. I don't know where, where that, why I started crying. I don't know. I don't, could, couldn't make sense out of it. And Joe's like, I can make sense out of it. I, I, I understand because when God reaches down, when he chooses to speak into a situation, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a second. 
It makes sense now. It makes all kinds of sense. And for Job, this was the encounter that I would suggest his trials he was desperate to receive. My hope for each one of us as we're going through the different junk and trials and struggles and weights that we're carrying even now, that we wouldn't necessarily always be so quick to, why God, you owe me this answer, and move a little bit more towards the God, God, meet me in this. God, I, I want to see you in this. I can't make sense out of it, but I, I've, I've seen the expanse of your creation. I've seen the, your track record of faithfulness in my life. I want to encounter you. I would suggest that might be the response we're looking for. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this text. And man, you can't read this without having some degree of awe at the scope of all that you've done, all that you sustain, all that you rule over, thinking of a God that started from nothing and created this universe. Pretty awesome reality, God. I thank you for the fact that this, even though it was direct and bold and not necessarily the sensitive God that we might be hoping for, was exactly the reminder that Job needed of who you are, the scope, the majesty. You are awesome, God. We praise you even this morning through song, even as we sing in this last song, indescribable, God. That so describes you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. He is an amazing God. I wanted to just remind you of just a couple things as we're leaving today. First, if you're newer here in the last couple months, we have this lunch right afterwards in the well. We'd be thrilled to have you join us. Second, once a month on the same time we do communion, we also have an opportunity to give towards our benevolent fund to help those in need in our area. If you want to be a part of that, you're welcome to. And lastly, do you remember last week you all signed, or a bunch of you signed this birthday card for Carolyn Poole? Do you guys want to see a quick clip of her receiving this? She was so thrilled. All right, so now wave, and there's your envelope. Can I wave? Yeah, there you go. A little action, please. A little dance, maybe? A little dance. (laughs) Okay, that's great. Okay, I think. She was really blessed and encouraged by that. Thanks, you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.